Believe seven-game win streak comes to an end. Yes, yeah, tough. You know, it's, it's, you know, we've got momentum on our side, and, and uh, you, you want to kind of get going, get building. It's tough. To, you know, it's, it's tough. It was a tough day to earn power plays tonight. You know, it's, that's a tough, it's a tough spot in the game there. It's, you know, power plays are four to one in the game. That's a factor. Uh, in the game, it's not on the officials. That's just part of the way the game goes. That's, that's you know another thing that can go our way here tonight. We didn't do enough during power plays. We obviously been playing some good hockey, put a really good stretch together. We want to get right back out. Obviously disappointed tonight. So regroup here and get excited about our next challenge and, and getting back to uh, the way we've been playing and, and continue to push for more. So obviously not a great feeling uh, now and certainly as we leave the rink tonight, uh, great chance to regroup and respond. It's hour three of the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you. Seven game win streak done. Oh, I was going to say, sorry, man. No, no, no. JT's cadence just never changes. He is. Win or lose, like you couldn't, that clip could have been from three weeks ago. We would have known the difference. Win win or lose, (laughs) JT is as vanilla as they come. That's it. Oh, that was just an equipment issue. It's just so frustrating. (laughs) I just wish hockey players had a little bit more. Pizzazz. A little bit more pizzazz. You know, people yeah. will, people will talk their smack Color, about PK Subban, but at least PK Subban spoke about things. No, but seriously, he's like, parlayed it into a media career. Like you can say whatever you want about him, but at least he had a personality. It would have been the exact same win or lose. That that tone 100%. would have been identical. Hundred percent. And the messaging might have been the same. Where he's like, we're looking forward to the next challenge. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, by by the way, um, the media did try and get. Sheldon Keefe to, you know, expand on why he got kicked out. Yeah. Yeah, that, that he wasn't. Offering. He didn't take the bait. I'm sure he said a couple things that he probably couldn't repeat. Um, hey, we've all been there. Um, joining us on the line here, former NHL goaltender, a guy who knows what it's like to be in the locker room, and we've got lots of questions for him. Uh, it's Carter Hutton, Leafs morning take and starting goalies on Daily Faceoff, and as I mentioned, also former NHL goaltender. This insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Carter, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. A little cold up here in Thunder Bay this morning, but uh, I'm, I'm getting used to it here. It's been a mild winter, so I can't complain. A little colder in Toronto this morning after that loss. Uh, no, it yeah. is not as cold as Thunder. Nothing will ever be as cold as Thunder Bay, though. <laughs> like you do. Okay, so uh, this is this is the minutia of my stupid brain. Um, on your vehicle, do you have the the spikes on the tires? <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We're close though. We're we're, we're on the edge of that. So okay, it's, not too okay. Bad. it's actually so been a good winter. I, so. Just because I know somebody that lived in Sioux Lookout for a long time, and they were just selling uh, tires. Not that I'm trying to sell you the tires. Uh, it's more just a question and how my brain works. But anyway, uh, here's also how my brain works. So I'm listening to Ilya Samsonov's post game last night, and he's talking about you know how he played and and you know he was it was a tough loss for him. But I'm watching that game and I'm saying I don't put that loss on Ilya Samsonov at all. Uh, I put it on the, the defensive play that was in front of him and sometimes not even defensive play, just letting guys get behind you. How do you look at Ilya Samsonov's game last night? Did you kind of take the same away as I did or were there some things that you thought that were maybe a little bit concerning? No, nothing too concerning for me. Like maybe a save on the third one on um, it was Carlson scored. It's just leaky, like a lazy play where He's kind of still drifting. The puck gets through him. That's one where you need a save. It was just one of those games where he just didn't have a save at the right time for me. I wouldn't say it's concerning, but I think with Joseph Wall coming back, it should be concerning for him in the sense of, you know, he's going to start to get pushed. And, you know, we've touched on this before 
that he doesn't like having someone nipping at his heels and he likes having the crease. Well, that's you're going to have to get used to it. It's the NHL, Ilya. For me, it was the post-game interview. He's already in his suit. He's like, just looks dysfunctional. He's tired. He wants to go where it just seemed like right away he was in his suit, ready to go home where I think Joseph Wall is going to come and try to kick this door down. He's going to get a chance to play. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a net from him. Okay. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the, what just even he was all suited up and ready to rock and, and walk out of the building. And I, I also made that observation in the sense that it was like less than 10 minutes after the game. And he was already standing in front of a bunch of microphones. And I, and I was stunned. I was, I was like, Oh boy, I look up at the screen and I see he's already speaking. I, 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 I thought it was a little bit quick, but you could see he was eager to get out of there. Also, you mentioned Joseph wall Carter and I, and I quickly on wall, I thought it was interesting. Like he, he was activated, but they chose to dress uh, Jones as the backup and not wall last night. And I guess maybe that's just a case of, okay, well, you can get him some more practice time before he gets thrust back in, in any situation, whether it's him starting a game or as a backup sitting on the bench behind Samson off for a game. But if you're Sheldon Keefe, if you're that coaching staff, when do you think would be the appropriate time or the appropriate way to kind of ease him back into the fold and put him in a position? Because I think in, in, where he's going to have the net, inevitably, he's going to push Ilya Samsonov. Like, I think that is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I touched on this yesterday with Kipper and Bourne, and I, I don't think it's Wall's and net by any means, but I also don't really think he lost it, right? If you look at these last wins, like even in the six wins that – Samsonov played. He was still at an under 900 save percentage. And last night obviously didn't help the cause either. But I think it's just easing Wall into it, getting back into the flow, into the NHL practice level where, you know, he went down, had a conditioning stint, played well with the Marlies. But for me, it's moving forward. I think this is going to be somewhere where you see what Boston does, right? They have two goalies that can push each other. And then you have the veteran Martin Jones, who, you know, we've seen what Jones can do on limited games. And, you know, he's going to be fine. He's your insurance plan just in case something happens. And, and to touch on what you first said, I hated seeing him in a suit right away. Like, hated it. Like, I'm a veteran guy. Like, I played for a long time. And the guys that just bail out, like, there's lots of stuff to do to be a pro and take care of your body and go through it. Like you see Tavares talking about that. He's still sweating. He's going into the gym. He's doing something granted. I know everybody is different, but for me, him being in the suit, like looking distraught just bothered me a lot as a ex player. I don't know why, but it's something that stuck out to me. I, I agree. It, it really, it did. That stuck out to me as well, uh, as well. It was uh, something, and I, I don't know if that's customary or not, like in terms of the, you know, with goalies or players in general, because it just did feel a little bit quick, but, um, on top of that, and speaking of the sort of the goaltending rotation that the Leafs currently have and the three guys that are in the picture, of course, you were playing in an era where it was slightly different and we didn't have these like, now it's commonplace where it feels like a lot of teams are starting to adopt like these three-man rotations essentially when it comes to goaltending. And that is if you don't have an elite, true number one netminder on your roster and the Leafs are one of those teams right now where they've got Samsonov, they've got Wall and Martin Jones. They're the only team in the NHL with three goalies that have eight or more wins uh, individually amongst each goaltender as somebody that's been in locker rooms, that's been uh, a, either a starter or a back up at various points in your career how do you think that that plays psychologically like from a player standpoint to be involved in a trio as opposed to even a tandem what does that do in terms of messing with maybe your preparation or how you're approaching the game on a day-to-day -day basis 
You know, I, I don't think it affects them totally. You know, I think the best part about this situation is their third is Martin Jones. He is like a likable guy. I know Martin. He is a good dressing room guy, a good teammate, a good person. So there's, he's not in there. He's not rocking the boat. He's not trying to undermine Elia or Wall. So he's going to be one of those guys that has a lot of veteran experience. You know, for Martin Jones, like he's got 63 playoff games and like a 917 save percentage in the playoffs, right? So that's stuff where these young guys can use that wisdom and he knows some stuff. But as for the other two, I think it's about getting your reps in and getting the right reps. So for me, it was weird because my whole career, I was a backup. You know, I back up, back up, back up. Then all of a sudden I get a chance to be a starter. And I still had that mindset. I needed to practice and do as much as I could, where sometimes having three is better because say Joseph Wall or Samson, if somebody goes on a run come playoff time, maybe you can limit your practice time a little more and, and make sure you're peaking at games. You know, energy levels get important this time of year and, and having that maintenance. So I don't see it as a problem. I think everyone's mature enough to understand the situation that you're not necessarily competing with the other goal. You're competing with yourself, right? You're only going to control what you can. If you play well, you're going to get a more chance to play. So I think it's going to be a good battle. I think this is something the Leafs are going to benefit from. And for me, it's, it's depending on how Samsonov plays. I think if he struggles early, I, I don't think, it's out of everybody's mind how bad he was early in the season, and they're worried that he could revert back to that. Uh, yeah, in this city, um, having PTSD <laughs> about goalies, that's, uh, yeah, I, I think that's very, very relevant right now. Carter Hutton, Leafs morning take and starting goalies on Daily Faceoff, also former NHL goaltender. Joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So, Daniele and I talked about this. It's such a weird thing with this Leaf team. Their home record is 15-11-2. They're 18-6-6. Six, and six on the road it feels like two entirely different teams and and Sheldon Keith kind of he didn't necessarily speak to this last night but he kind of talked about getting too comfortable I don't know if that's part and parcel for playing at home but you've been in in NHL locker rooms like you know what goes on it, it feels like a really weird thing that the Leafs have struggled at home this year you know the power play numbers aren't as good the penalty kill numbers aren't as good it's just all around they're not the same team they they score goals at, at kind of the same clip, but it feels like they allow more at home as well. Is there anything that you can point to that you say, this is why they're having a lack of success at home and not on the road? Because I, I for the life of me, cannot figure out why this team has struggled as much as, and struggle. I mean, they're four games over 500, but comparatively to what they do on the road, they've struggled. Yeah, and another team that's done that as well this year is the Nashville Predators, who, again, I played for and have always been a good home team, right? So, and again, with the Leafs, it's, usually try to pride yourself on making your home building a tough building to play in, right? But I think for the Leafs, sometimes they go on the road and they're like, let's simplify our game. Let's play road hockey, you know, kind of let it come to us as it goes. Where Sometimes at home, you think you need to put on a show. You need to be buzzing on all cylinders. And I think sometimes their game starts to open up a bit of it. When they're on the road, it's simple. And last night doesn't surprise me that performance. Not that they were bad by any means, but – it was just ugly. It was a game where you come home, you're off the road, you just you just won seven straight, you just won four on the road, you're back home in your own beds, and then it's like you kind of decompress a bit. You got that extra day, and then you're trying to get back up for a game at home where you know the fans are going to be into it because you're buzzing, and it's hard to find that game, I think, when you're trying to play too much offense. So for me, I think it's the simplification of being on the road. Let's just be simple. Let's not beat ourselves. We're sometimes at home, you're trying to do too much, and this year it definitely seems that way at home for them. Before we get into some other goaltending or NHL-related topics, there was something specific that stood out from the game last night that I wanted to hit on involving Aiden Hill. He lost his the blade on his left skate at one point. I think it was in the second period. And I saw then, I, I even in the moment watching it unfold, I didn't really think too much of it. Like, I thought, oh, like, what... 
in, in that moment, what is actually the protocol here? Like, do the officials blow that dead? Do they not blow that dead? Because I saw a lot of people online specifically were very much upset that he was given a reprieve and the opportunity to go back to the bench and then have a new blade inserted uh, with while like the play was still going on. They they stopped it. They gave him a reprieve with the stoppage. Uh, have you ever seen something like that unfold before? And in your experience, is that typically how it goes? Like, is is there a, a protocol in place for how the officials are supposed to handle situations like that? There isn't. It's, it's the fact that it there's at the moment, if there's a scoring chance, depending on who has possession. But for me, it's, it's just the fact that I think guys can get hurt, especially a goalie trying to move around. But for me, it, it's funny. I always think back to the two grass one where he grabs a skateboard and throws it. So <laughs> it, it, it's pretty funny. I've never had that happen to me, obviously, oddly, but I've had it happen in practice and stuff. And it's a helpless feeling, right? I think for a goalie, you're just trying to escape to try to find somewhere to your goal line. But I, I understand where people are upset about it. It's like, you know, your equipment broke, you know, deal with it. So, but I also think you're always just not trying to put guys in danger is the main goal here, whether, you know, a helmet pops off or whatever happens. But uh, honestly, seeing him swim around out there was pretty comical last night. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, to me, that's what it is. It's a safety thing. And as soon as, as soon as Vegas gets possession, then it's like, okay, you know, the, you haven't kind of taken away a scoring chance. So I think, I think that's the the big thing. Um, when you watch the, the Leafs last night and you see the defensive play in front of Ilya Samsonov, I mean, it left a lot to be desired. It certainly didn't look like the same team that we saw play on the road last week. And, and it speaks to your point about, you know, playing a little bit more loose at home and, you know, being in your own bed and being comfortable, all those kinds of things. But there's one thing that kind of stood out. And I think everybody's kind of, you know, on this train now, I think we're done with the Riley and Brody pair going forward. It just, for whatever reason has not worked this season. It's, and even last year, it didn't work to the point that they had to go out and get somebody to play with Morgan Riley. But when you look at, at Morgan Riley defensively, and you see him, you know, there's a couple of missed assignments. He was a dash four last night. Does his defensive play concern you? Because I know there's been this ongoing theme, especially online, about how Morgan Riley's just not a good defenseman, which is foolish. But it does feel like we're getting into, like, whipping boy territory for Morgan Riley, which is really weird because he's getting paid like the number one defenseman. He's not getting paid as much as other number one defensemen, and he's probably not a one. He's probably a two. But do you, when you see him play, is it concerning to you that they need to go out and find someone to play with him? I think it's more him playing almost out and above his role, right? Where I just feel like the Leafs frustrate me in the sense of, like, the offense is there. We have the offense, right? We make some signings. Um, you know, Klingberg in the summer, obviously a terrible signing. It doesn't help your defensive core. Um, when I watch, like, Simone Benoit, Benoit and, like, Jake McCabe play together, just crashing and banging and making it hard on other teams. I know there's nights where these guys are inconsistent, but for Morgan Riley, I think <clears> – <throat> His sweet spot is probably a bit under the minutes he plays, especially in the defensive zone where he's going to produce, he's going to help out, he can play defense, but he's not that shutdown guy that you need in the D zone to make it hard on teams. When you look at other teams, like you look at Vegas last night, there's four defensemen on that team that you do not want to play against in the D zone. And you see how hard Vegas makes it to play. And I always touch back on the game when Carolina came to town against Toronto, their defense was just so big. It just seems like you're watching the game and there's just no space in the defensive zone where when I'm watching Brody and I'm watching Riley, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like it's just sporadic and you're running around and the game kind of gets picked apart through the D zone. So for me, I think Morgan Riley is a tremendous defenseman. I just think sometimes they're trying to get him to play in too many roles where I think he'd be better in a sweet spot where he's playing less minutes in his D zone and more in the offensive zone. 
Uh, speaking of Riley there for a second, uh, Carter, last night the the Leafs, and then they ultimately abandoned it, but they decided, hey, we're going to go back to the well with the Brody pairing, obviously, but with the caveat of having Riley experiment for, I think, I mean, we haven't seen this very frequently at all, uh, him playing on his offside. And that's been a big talking point over the years with TJ Brody specifically, among other defensemen that the Leafs have had uh, in recent matches. Like, I think it was uh, Jake Muzzin was another prime example of, of a guy that was playing on his offside. As somebody who's been in locker rooms, been around a lot of different defensemen throughout your career, do we kind of overstate that at times? Like, the, the challenge of playing on your offside? Or is it something that really does provide a bit of an impediment for some of those guys? Because last night, the Leafs were in a scenario where they dressed six left shot D because of injuries and other extenuating circumstances. How much is that actually a factor? I think it is a factor. And uh, I think guys are not going to tell you that. I think guys are going to be, I can do anything. I can play guys want to play guys want to play in any role. Guys are skilled. It depends on size. I think sometimes these bigger defensemen have a lot harder times. Like honestly, you see how big these guys skates are in their boots and they can move well, but it's a little different for a guy like say TJ Brody playing on the off swing or someone smaller uh, for example, I was thinking of in Seattle, Vince Dunn, when I played with him, he played a lot on his offside in St. Louis. But he's a smaller guy, a little more mobile, a puck-moving defenseman, where sometimes these bigger defensemen, it's a lot harder when you have to get that puck. And now you're trying to jam pucks back up the wall in your backhand. It is tougher, but I also think these guys are elite players. But like you said, like my, my little guy's a lefty here. I've been, I told my wife, I said, we should have put a right-handed stick in his Same thing. <laughs> you could be a right-handed D-man here. You know what I mean? I need a, my pension's pretty good, but I wouldn't mind another retirement plan. So <laughs> it's hard to come by finding good right-handed defensemen. Uh, Carter, I, I said, that's funny that you say that because yeah. I said this basically to start the show. Um, my daughter, I've been telling her for six months, like you need to be right-handed and Danielle asked how yeah. old she was. And I said, she's 18 months. So I've been really working on right-handed cause, cause certainly, and you as a, as a goalie yourself, you do not want to see your child become a goalie. Right? Like no. that. Yeah, oh, okay. No. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page because I know, like, my brother was a goalie, not a very good one, um, but <laughs> he was a goalie. And I know my dad, it was the hardest thing ever for a goalie parent. Uh, I've already told my wife, there's no chance that my daughter, if she decides to play hockey, will ever put on a pair of goalie pads. So I'm glad that oh, I'm glad yeah. you're trying to work in a right handed uh, defenseman. I like that because that's the key. Yeah. It's just like becoming a pitcher in baseball. If you can become a really good pitcher in baseball, well, you can have your, your money is sure is made sure. anyway. Besides the point, um, I did want to ask you because the trade deadline is about a week and a half away. And at this time of the year, you know, there's lots of talk. And, and I know that there are some players that do not follow what goes on on social media and in the news, but a lot of them do. I know factually that a lot of players have burner accounts when they're playing. Um, this was told to me by a former NHLer. Now, Having said that, what is the locker room like over the course of, you know, the two, three weeks leading up to trade deadline? Because I can't imagine that it's the biggest topic of conversation in the room, but do you see guys like maybe a little bit on edge? Like there's certain guys like, you know, Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Mitch Marner and those guys, they're not getting traded, but maybe it's guys on the periphery that it's like, okay, I'm really like my time here. I don't really want to go anywhere else. How much does that weigh on guys? And, and do you notice it when you're in the room? You don't necessarily notice it. I, I feel like from a team, everybody knows, right? Like you touched on the guys that are safe or safe, right? Um, the guys that are on the trading block, it might come up a little bit, especially if your team is horrible. Like I've been on some bad teams where it's like, Hey, I'm getting traded. Everybody knows, but you're a professional. You come up and show teams like the Leafs are the interesting one, right? Cause you're in the playoffs and like, what is our GM? What is the message he's sending to us? 
Because I've been on teams where we've traded a key guy away, and you've been like, okay, so we're not going for it, right? Just instantly, I was on St. Louis, we traded Paul Stasny to the Winnipeg Jets, and instantly I remember our locker room just being just distraught because he was a great guy, a great player, and it was like, okay, so we're not going for it. And not that we're not going to keep trying and trying, but it definitely sends a message to the team. But then I've been on the other side where we've made trades to try to beef up the team, and it is a shot in the arm. It's like, hey, we're going for this. Like, they believe in us. So I think that is the main factor. The trades and stuff just come with the business, right? I think guys understand that, but it's more internally. I don't think it gets vocalized in the room a ton. Maybe if it's you're the worst team in the league, like if you're on Chicago right now or San Jose, and you're like, hey, are you getting traded? What's going on? Where a team like the Leafs, they're just trying to worry about what's ahead of them. And it's going to be a very, very interesting time leading up to said trade deadline for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Carter, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, try and bundle up. Don't get too cold. You you grew up around there, so you know what it's like. I know you spend some time in some sunnier climates than Thunder Bay. Um, <laughs> but please stay warm out there and uh, keep doing a great job with Daily Faceoff. You're awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. There he goes. Carter Hutton, Leafs morning take and starting goalies on Daily Faceoff. Also, former NHL goaltender. That insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Lots of good insight there from Mr. Hutton. His last answer in regards to your question about how players sort of navigate this time of year, Mm -hmm. dealing with deadline rumors, et cetera, and what it does to a locker room. I think it's very team dependent as he alluded to, but it is interesting to note how it can be either really demoralizing, deflating, or it can have the opposite effect where it's galvanizing for a room when your front office is sending a message that they have confidence in what you're capable of. And that's that's an interesting point with the Leafs because this is a season that we've talked about it time and again in terms of, all right, is Bradtree Living going to be tempted to make a big move or to really try and, even if it's moves on the, on the fringes of the roster, try to be aggressive in augmenting his personnel to put this team in a better position? Or is he going to exercise some restraint and choose to, hey, let's keep some of those assets in the cupboard for another day? And we'll let this ride. But I wonder what effect that might have on the room and the message it could send to those guys that are right now in a position where a lot of them are in the peaks of their careers, the prime of their careers, or in even John Tavares's case, you know, he's coming towards the end of this contract. What does it look like for him moving forward? We don't know, but it, it, it will one way or another send a message to that room. What he interprets the ceiling of this team to be. The other thing is too is I mean if you're a professional and your your GM doesn't go out and make a trade for you you got to be professional and you got to yes. say like you know they'll we, never outwardly say it no of course they won't but you've also got Jose Bautista you ever you remember that incident I do I do remember that that's that's a famous one yeah and and that team that Blue Jays team of I think it was like 2014 was never the same they yeah. they were there in the mix and then they completely fell off the face of the earth yeah and I mean things changed the year after because they realize, okay, we got to do something. Yeah, we got to do something. (laughs) But if you look at this Leaf team, I mean, they were given opportunities. And they look at last year specifically and the guys that they brought in. Mm -hmm. It was a whirlwind of a a trade deadline. And all these things are happening, as Bob Cole would say, everything is happening. (laughs) And you're you're watching this. And then they, they won a round, but then they didn't perform in the second round. So I that's where part of me is like, if it doesn't happen, you need to put on your big boy pants and you need to go out and play. 
and you need to prove them wrong because you've had opportunities where the Leafs have never been shy around deadline time with this group. They've gone out and they have made acquisitions, whether it be big ones or not, but they've gone out and have added pieces to this group. It hasn't worked out, but how much of that is on the core that you need to step up when it matters too. So that, that for me is a, is a big thing. The other thing that you can talk about is if you make too many trades, does it upset the chemistry in the room? Look at what happened with Boston. Boston went all out last year at the deadline and the Leafs did that as well. And there wasn't enough time in my opinion to really kind of make that group gel. There's even less time this year because the deadlines, if I'm not mistaken, is a little bit later this year than last year. So that for me is, is a big part of this. And that's why I don't think they're going to go out and make a ton of trades. I don't think that they can. Um, I also look at the roster and say, I don't, I don't see where the, with what you have, that you can make the improvements necessary to make this a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I would agree with you um, on that last point. I also think, heck, in each of the last three years, they've made significant additions. Last year being obviously the most extreme example with uh, O'Reilly coming in and Shen. and I mean, heck, they were shuffling bodies in and out, and, 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 and Dubas was not afraid, not afraid to make a deal. There wasn't a deal that he didn't like uh, last year. But two years ago, Giordano, I mean, significant name on the trade market at the time. They go out, they get him. Three years ago, it was Felino. That was a prime target for a bunch of teams. They went out, spent a first-round pick, and made it happen for him. What's What also interests me with this group is the narrative – surrounding a lot of those additions, Maddie, even last year with O'Reilly coming in, was, okay, the core is good. We know there's a really talented group of players here. The nucleus is extremely talented. But do they have enough of the other aspects of the game to to have success in the playoffs? It felt like any time Kyle Dubas went and made moves at the deadline, it was to compensate for not necessarily weaknesses in terms of talent or skill, but more of the almost some of the intangibles that you need come playoff time. Yeah, and and how stylistically the guys they were bringing in would fare better in April and May because of the the way that they played, that they were a better fit for this team given what they were bringing to the table and, and their skill set. And I and I. I can't help but wonder how Bradtree Living views it through his lens in terms of, okay, do I feel like this group, this core, has learned from previous failures and past experiences to now be in a position where they can be the ones relied upon to bring that element of nastiness, that grit, that sandpaper that you need when the playoffs roll around? Because it's a different game. Yeah, here, here's my, here, and we got to take a break, but my take on that is, you can you can add those pieces at the deadline, but I don't know that their impact is felt with that little amount of time to ingratiate themselves into the core of this team. Uh, I think I'm, that's a huge part of it. You can add that, but if you, but it's a nice compliment if you already have it. Yes, it's hard to just turn the flip the switch and be like, okay, we're gonna play like that. Doesn't really work. That's why I think they brought in guys like Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi and Ryan Reeves because they're trying to you know add that to what is already there. Whether it's worked out or not is is still up in the air, but that's, I think, what they were trying to do. Big question is, if your core guys don't necessarily have it, inherently, innately have that in them, can the rest of the roster compensate for it? I don't know. And that, I don't know if it's possible, yeah. but that's what they've been trying to figure out for six, seven years now, and we'll see if it eventually comes to fruition or not. We shall see for sure. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the legend himself, he's retiring. It's Peter King. Uh, longtime NFL writer, 
Now we can say retired NFL writer, I guess. Uh, He'll join us. We'll talk about his career. We'll talk about covering the sport that he loves and clearly loved it because he covered it for a long time, went to 40 Super Bowls. Um, We'll talk to the legend Peter King when we come back. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Final segment of the Fan Morning Show for Wednesday, February the 28th. I can't believe that it's the end of February almost. Tomorrow, the last day. It's felt long. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no, but it, uh, it was January felt like there were 61 days. Out of Literally. Yeah. Yes. Um, felt like it wasn't going to end. Yeah, no kidding. Um, speaking of a long time, uh, our next guest covered the NFL for a long time and uh, penned his final article for Football Morning in America. He is the legend himself. It's Peter King joining us now. Mr. King, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well, Matt. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're good. I mean, I'm sad because you've announced How's that you are retiring. Um, as someone who, you know, I, I produced primetime sports for a long time. I know you are a yeah. regular on there. You you gave us uh, Don Banks after you got very busy with your time. And uh, I had the pleasure of knowing your, your longtime friend, Mr. Banks. Um, but I will say this, like, what was... I'm I'm waxing poetic because I, I've been you know I've been reading your stuff for years. But when you're when you're writing this article announcing your retirement, what's kind of like? Do you have a flood of emotions going through your head because you've been covering the NFL for a long time? I know in your article you said you covered 40 straight Super Bowls. Like that's nothing to scoff at. It's been a legendary career. But as you're penning that article, what is kind of going through your mind about like this may be the last time that I ever write something like this? I I didn't feel particularly emotional. I think it's because I just I've known this for a little while and I've known this day was going to come. And I don't know, I imagine maybe in a week or so when I'm sitting here looking at the four walls and really bugging the crap out of my poor wife that uh, I'll say, man, what have I done? I got to get back in. I I doubt it, though. I mean, what is the, the bird song to everything? There is a season, you know, turn, turn, turn. And I kind of feel like that. Look, there are I, – I just – I knew that it was time. I've known for a few months that it was time – and I appreciate the time I've had in it. I'm not mourning for uh, not doing it anymore. I'm just happy and appreciative for being able to do it at a fairly high level for for most of the last 40 years. So I don't feel any immense sadness, in part because there's so many young, excellent writers who are covering the NFL that you know, in a year after people get used to reading something else on Monday, you know, they'll, they'll feel like, okay, we're in, we're in good shape because I've got Jordan Rodriguez and Ben Solak and Kalen Kaler and 
you know, Tyler Dunn. I've got all these people who are really, really good at writing about football, and I'm just going to read them. So it, it'll all it'll all be fine. Nobody died, and uh, we'll all we'll all get along well. Well, Peter, just to echo, I guess Matt's sentiment as well. Um, yeah, I'm sad because I mean. I, I'm I'm disappointed that we won't have your coverage to kind of keep us company throughout the NFL season. It's a staple. Um, and I've, I mean, I've had obviously the privilege of following it as well. Um, and like many others throughout uh, the course of your career and, and part of learning so many different intricacies and little tidbits of information over the years, thanks to your column and your work and the, the terrific journalism that you, um, that you completed and executed throughout the course of your career I guess, you know, the one thing, and, and I was trying to think about this, and over the course of your career, whether it was, you know, the 27 years that you were routinely week in, week out authoring Football Morning in America, or just overall the 40 plus years that you've spent in the business as a sports writer, what is the biggest lesson that you've maybe learned or something that has resonated with you the most throughout your entire career that you're going to carry on with you? I think the biggest thing for me anyway, is that you simply have to stay current. You know, I remember uh, a few years ago, shoot, now it's probably 15 years ago, must be, uh, or so when I was living and working, I I was in Montclair, New Jersey, and uh, that's where we raised our kids. And there was a young girl in town named Emily Kaplan. And Emily Kaplan really wanted to get into journalism. You know, I talked to her a lot about it. I once took her to a minor league baseball game and had her write a story on deadline. And she was just, I knew she was going to be tremendous. And so I remember telling her before she went to Penn State, I said, listen, don't do one thing because you have no idea. You want to be a sports writer. You want to work for a newspaper or or for Sports Illustrated. I get it. But you know what? The world's going to change, and you've got to be ready for that change. So what is Emily doing now? She's working for ESPN. She's between the glass on the big NHL games, interviewing hockey players and and NHL coaches. And she had no idea that was going to happen, but she was prepared for it because she knew that the world – was not just going to be an isolationist world that you were going to go to college. And then for the next 40 years, you were going to be a sports writer. If people who think that are going to be left behind. And so that, I think the biggest lesson is you have no idea what form the storytelling is going to take. You just have to be a great storyteller and you have to be curious and you have to have great ideas. And you better be able to write because part of this business, a big part, is is communication. So I think over the years, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned about, about both journalism and about covering the NFL. You have no idea what form it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to look like in, in five years. But, but anyway, that's the one big thing that I've learned. Uh, Peter King, longtime NFL writer, now retired, uh, joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So I, I, I love what you said there because I, I think that's such an important part of just society today. You know, they talk about people, you know, the average person will change careers like 10 times 
over the span right. of their life. And for you, I think that that speaks to the staying power that you had and your writing style and and just, you know, being, I don't want to say a man of the people because, I mean, you you were, but I don't think that's what you were aiming for. You were just trying to do the best job as you could possible. And that's why, to me, it's even more impressive what you did over the course of your career that you covered this sport for so long. The, the, where I'm going with this is is how, you know, the evolution of covering the NFL has maybe changed. You know, you, you referenced the Jim Trotter situation in your piece and how, you know, when Roger Goodell signs your checks for a lot of people, how maybe you can't do what you probably need to do. And you pointed out um, the situation at uh, North Northwestern last year with their program right. and, and doing the investigating. How much in, in that spectrum has things changed because it's really you got to be careful with how you proceed nowadays because you know a lot of people get offended by a lot of things and there's a lot of things that are touchy subjects for a lot of people in covering the sport of football specifically how do you think that has changed and has it become more difficult to cover the sport over the course of your career well it isn't only the fact that <clears throat> there are fewer basically hardcore basic beat writers and news gatherers. You know, when I got into the business and in the early years, the reporters outnumbered the hot take people 10 to one. Now the opinionistas outnumber the reporters. And what does that mean exactly? Well, it means that there, there are going to be fewer people to dig up stories Uh, on the really, really important things that are happening in the NFL. Now, really, really important, obviously, is a relative phrase because how important really is what happens in a football game. But I do think one of the issues that we face as sort of a journalism community is the fact that all leagues um, are going to follow what the NHL is or the NFL is doing. And they're going to try to get as much um, as much coverage that is slanted toward the team and toward the league. Period. That's what is going to happen. And as Jim Trotter found out, you just simply don't go too far, or you're not going to be working there anymore. I think the one other thing I would say about all of that is that uh, I think that one of the things that I have enjoyed so much about the game and about the sport is getting to know coaches and quarterbacks and coordinators who can tell you precisely why something happened and how it happened. And like my last column at the Super Bowl is Andy Reid explaining Tom and Jerry. And I'm able to get a videographer to come in there to basically tell that story. And those are the stories that I will miss terribly. I, I won't have any replacing that in my life at all. There's nothing that can replace sitting in, you know, 120 million people or however many watch the Super Bowl. And then, you know, an hour and a half after the game, I'm alone with the coach, with my videographer, and he's telling me everything that happened on the play, why it worked, uh, where it came from, and all that stuff. And then five hours later, you know, you log on to NBCSports.com, and there's my column telling you everything that Andy Reid told me. So 
those are the things that I believe more and more, those are the things that are going away. And there need to be people who really kind of can take my spot. There will be. There's a lot of really great young reporters who cover the NFL, and I mean that. I'm not just saying that. But there need to be people who really dig in and get to know the coaches and the quarterbacks and the, and the key guys involved in this. And, you know, one other thing I would say, they all got their own podcast. They all, they're, they're covering their own news. And, and so for many people, they'll, they're just very vanilla with us. And when they get on their own podcast, that's when they spill the beans or they get on their own, you know, channel or whatever. So those are the challenges I think people in our business are going to face over the next few years. I think, Peter, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think at the, at the crux of all that is the ability to develop and foster relationships. And yeah. that is at times, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but in this era, it's it's different. It's a little bit more challenging. It's, it's There are so many layers to developing those types of relationships. And I guess in reflecting on your career, how important do you think that was to being able to have the longevity that you had and to have established yourself as one of the best, if not the best football writer that we've seen in, in this generation. The fact that you just were able to strike a chord with so many different people and develop these relationships that enabled you to get information and little details like to just, and, and I mean, you referenced it, the Andy Reid stuff, whether it was last year's Super Bowl or even this year, to be able to have that access and that just, that, that, I guess, transparency, those, those honest, candid conversations with people, how important was it to your career and your success to be able to foster those relationships? In 1995, I was doing a story in, in Green Bay with the Packers, and this heavyset guy walked up to me one day and he said, hey, I'm Andy Reid, I'm the tight ends coach here. I just want to tell you that uh, I, I went to college and I wanted to do your job. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I wanted to write football for Sports Illustrated. So, man, you got a cool job. It's fantastic. And that is the day I met him. And then ever since he became a coach, we've had a good relationship. I've talked to him a lot. And he's the kind of guy who I can, like, I went to training camp this year. Went to training camp this year. Mm-hmm. Sat with him, talked to him, and I said to him, listen, when you win the Super Bowl this year, I need five minutes of your time after the game so you can tell me exactly what happened, um, uh, you know, on the winning play of the game. And he said, okay. And he starts laughing because obviously, you know, there's 31 teams that I, I hate to say it, but I'm saying similar stuff to their coaches to a few of them too. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, when I see you uh, – after you win the Super Bowl after the season, I want to <laughs> I want to get a few minutes with you. And so, you know, that is the kind of thing that over time, it's doable, it's possible. The the the, the benefit that I had obviously is Sports Illustrated used to be the Bible, and you know it isn't that anymore. Unfortunately, that's the way the media world uh, happens sometimes. But to me. I am grateful that I was able to come up in a time when the written word really mattered. And, you know, as I go out, the written word matters less. 
And that's why so many of these young writers who are so good have to keep pounding and making sure that we understand that it's the reporting and the writing that adds to people's enjoyment of the game. I mean, look, I'm just telling you, I'm now at 1,780. I looked this morning, 1,780 emails from people in 48 hours about uh, you know, because I invited people, please write. My last column next Monday is going to be all you. It's going to be just your letters. And, you know, right now I'm on 31 countries. And I just, you know, how does that happen in today's world? Well, you've got to make it happen. And so anyway, it's, uh, it's been, a, you know, it's been a, it's been a great run. I do have fear for the future, but I also have optimism for the future. And part of that optimism, quite honestly, is how many women are doing this job now and doing it at an incredibly high level that is so encouraging as the father of daughters. Uh, that's a pretty good way to end it, sir. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, uh, from our little perch here in Toronto as two guys and, and a station full of people and listeners that have followed your work for a long time, thank you so much for all that you've done for us, the the viewers and listeners um, and readers of your column, thank you so much for telling us the stories that maybe we would not have been able to hear yep. before. Um, so from all of us here, thank you so much and all the best in your future endeavors. I have no doubt that you are going to get bored, but you'll find something else <laughs> that's part of your passion that'll make it work. Peter, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks a lot, guys. There he goes. Peter King, longtime NFL writer, now retired, um, as some people refer to him, the Don Corleone of football journalists. Very cool. And, uh, and, I, very think, cool. and I think that that is pretty apt. Uh, less part about the mafia, more part about, you know, the guy that they looked up yes. to. Yes. Um, and as as someone who is also uh, a father of a daughter, I, I, I see what he's saying and I echo that sentiment. Um, lots of females doing a lot of good work, especially in the football space. Um, we're just a couple minutes away from wrapping up the show today. Uh, we do have a Blue Jays lineup. We do. In Dunedin yes. today, it is a very major league heavy oh, roster. As you can imagine after uh, yesterday. Yeah, Bichette, Guerrero, Turner, Jansen, Varsho, Schneider, Espinal, Lucas, Eden, round out your batting order, and Paulo Espino will make the start. It was supposed to be Jose Barrios. Yep. They're going to have him pitch tomorrow, mm-hmm. and uh, John Schneider said that we will see Kevin Gosman in the next round of starts so uh we'll see what happens there um also uh as i'm pulling up the you know who we haven't you know who we haven't seen yet who's that george springer uh yeah when are we going to see george springer because 34 years old now i get it maybe you can uh same thing with similar to kevin gosman maybe you're a little bit more judicious in terms of uh the workload during spring training but i think we need to see him i would like to see him at some point and also my other big question that i have here maddie in thinking about the blue jays at this moment Who's going to hit cleanup for this team? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real question here. Maybe it's Justin Turner that gets the first crack at it. If we're using spring training early games as any sort of barometer to judge what it might look like. Like, I mean, Turner's been essentially either third or fourth uh, in every lineup he's been a part of. And Bichette has hit towards the top as opposed to the middle. I don't know. I, I just, I think it's an interesting question to ponder as we uh, progress here throughout the spring. Uh, here's a name that I'm very interested in because he played a little bit of third before he got to, um, to, before he made his way up the minors, Arelvis Martinez. Yes. He's going to focus on playing second base. He, he talk about having some pop in the bat. 
he would be the guy that I'd be very curious to see if this if this offense struggles because it's not like they got a ton of power on that infield. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm very curious to see that's, what happens with the relevance. By the Martinez. way, him playing second, that's by design. No question. 100%. By design. I did think about third, but I I, I understand. They, they, it's, a, it's a less taxing position defensively, and they also see it as maybe the most necessary in terms of finding somebody that can be a more permanent fixture at second base. That shows me that they're not overly confident about the depth there. Third base, they feel like we, we'll be fine with IKF playing third. Yeah. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays baseball on Sportsnet or streaming on the Sportsnet radio app uh, as Tampa Bay Rays come to TD Park in Dunedin. First pitch scheduled for after or just after 1 o'clock. Uh, we got to wrap up. Thanks to everybody that joined us on the show today. Thanks to everybody behind the glass. Thanks to you, Danielle. Back tomorrow. Fan morning show. Talk to you then. Oh, that was just an equipment issue. I'm physically, I'm great. Nobody's going to give a shit.